I'm Anthony Scaramucci, and welcome to Open Book, where I talk with some of the most interesting and brilliant minds in our world today. In this show, I'll bring on guests in business, politics, entertainment, and more to go deep into a piece of their work, whether it's a highly anticipated book, an in-depth feature story, or an opinion piece that has captured my attention. We'll dig into why it matters to you and how their work is shaping our future. On today's episode, I talk with author, podcast host, and editor-at-large of New York Magazine, Kara Swisher. If you want to talk about tech or journalism, for that matter, there's no one better than Kara Swisher as Silicon Valley's most feared and well-liked journalist and one hell of a podcast host. She gets to the heart of what makes powerful people tick. In this conversation, we go right back to Kara's trolling of me on Twitter something I love her for. She lets us in on what makes the Kara Swisher secret sauce. We unpack her best-selling books on AOL. We compare notes on some of tech's biggest characters, from Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos to Steve Jobs, Sheryl Sandberg, and more. And if you're wondering who the most dangerous figure in tech is, Kara answers that for us here on Open Book. Some of your best relationships in life can come from Twitter trolling, okay? Miss mm-hmm. Kara Swisher trolled me on Twitter, and look at us now, five yes. years later, with this yeah. beautiful relationship. She's the host of On With Kara Swisher. She's the co-host of The Pivot Podcast. She's the editor-at-large of New York Magazine, but she's also an author of Kara. Welcome to Open Thank Book. Thank you. Thank you, and I'm glad I trolled you. You were very had good humor about it. You were easy to troll, though. Come on. You gave us yeah, lots I of was, material. I was easy to troll, but you also invited me on your podcast. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. I think your friends were outraged by that they were. Uh, invitation. But yeah. then they recognized, wait a minute, there's more here that meets the eye. That's but correct. Is that true about journalism, though? Isn't it true that sometimes your first impression of something may not be the right impression? No, of journalism or life? Like uh, life. life. Yes, Let's say I think life. so. Journalism. I, you know, I tend to try to bring in people that I disagree with or I might disagree with. I don't assume people are jerks until I actually get to know their jerky selves. And so I tend to try to bring as many points of view as possible in. So I don't assume anything until I actually spend time with them. Obviously, I hear things about people and and this and that. And then there's the, the media lens that people are. But I'm always surprised, usually pleasantly, by people if I get to know them. I'm often not, I'm not surprised on the negative side as much as I am as the positive side. Well, there's a secret sauce to being Kara Swisher. <laughs> I guess. Okay. Oh, yeah. They just go over this. Okay. You're a okay. brilliant journalist. You have this amazing podcast. You're an author. You mm-hmm. break stories. Yeah, okay. I so did. it's I not just to. like you're a pundit. Mm-hmm. You're actually in the know and mm-hmm. you are scooping people. Used to be. And, I don't do and that and anymore. So but in, in a lot of different ways, I mean, you know, you're probably not going to like this comparison, but you remind me a little bit of Ryan Seacrest in that way. Oh, that that's able, a compliment. I love Ryan. He's great. Okay, yeah, but you're able to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I love Ryan as well. I have a lot of respect for him. 
Mm-hmm. But he can move across the bandwidth. He does. And do 10 or 15 things at the same time exceptionally well. Yeah. What is the Kara Swisher uh, secret sauce? <laughs> secret. There's no secret. You know, it's interesting you met Ryan because that's a person who everyone was like, why do you want to talk to him? I'm like, are you kidding? He's everywhere. He has production. He's a really good personality. He's done music stuff. He's entrepreneurial. So, you know, he actually, when I met with him, he's like, why do you want to meet with me? And I said, I think you're an entrepreneur. I like, I love entrepreneurs. I don't care how they do. I don't care how your hair looks or whatever. Whatever. Uh, but he had a public persona that was not what was actually going on. There's lots of people like this. Sean Hayes is another person who sure. was on Will and Grace. He's also a producer. He's now got a successful podcast. I'm really attracted to entrepreneurial types. And I suppose the secret sauce to me is that as I'm very entrepreneurial as a reporter and as a person in life, right? I don't, I'm willing to try things. I'm willing to fail. I'm willing to say, I don't think that's right. I don't like to stick with the, with the regular, like it's just because something's working. I don't necessarily want to, I don't want to blow it up for no good reason, but I do like to sort of explore why we do the things we do, especially when it comes to consumer products. Like mine happens to be journalism. So it was always searching for ways to make it different and better for the consumer. I have a theory that I want to test on you. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of our, I mean, we're born with certain traits and certain Mm -hmm. acumen and so forth, but a lot of the things that we do in life come from our upbringing. And I'm wondering if you think that that's true. And if it is, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how it led you to where you are. You know, it's a good question. You're just talking about that on Pivot. You know, I think probably more negatively than positively, but, but positively in a negative way. My dad died when I was really little. And, you know, that leaves you at a very empty place, losing a parent. Like it's like half your friends die essentially. Um, and we were very close. And even though I was five, I don't have a lot of memories. I have too many younger kids. I have four kids. But I remember thinking when they were five, wow, this was me, right? They know me really well. And so the loss was rather vast. And I think that sort of changes how you look at life. You know, I think a lot of well-known people have had that happen to them. Steve Jobs was another person very aware of death. I think that's one of the things that I brought from my upbringing that was important, but not I wish it was another way I could learn that particular lesson about the how life is finite and you have to do, you have to go for things even when you don't want to, or you, you shouldn't waste time. And I think that was a really good lesson. I had a very close relationship with my grandmother. I spent a lot of time, you know, she's Italian. She's, she, she's 100% Italian. She, she was very, uh, you know, she wasn't educated. She was not uh you know, she she stayed in her house her whole life. You know what I mean? Didn't go far, but I learned a lot about kindness. And I um, grew up in that sort um, of a neighborhood. Yeah, car, so I totally right. get that. Yeah. So I think that was important. I think, you know, I grew up relatively wealthy, very wealthy, I would say, compared to most people. And I also worked really hard. And so I spent a lot of time rejecting a lot of here, take this you know, get on this train and this and that. But all my brothers and I are really hard workers. And so I think one of the things we did was we were in those worlds where people got to get a leg up for no good reason other than they were their parents. And we didn't, we rejected that rather substantively a lot of the time, but it was a very good insight into that world. And as I started covering tech moguls, you know, you saw the, what happens when people have too much money, what happens to them personally. So let, let, let's talk about that because I'm fascinated by this. I feel like uh, there was a, a commercial in the 80s where they they opened up an egg and they mm-hmm. said, this is your brain. Mm-hmm. And then they put the egg in a frying pan and they said, this yeah, is your famous. brain on drugs. Yeah. And yeah. your brain was frying. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a little bit of that is related to money, meaning yeah. this is your brain and then this is your brain on money. And so you interview a lot of people that have yeah. incredible amounts of money. What happens to the brain on money? If it's money, money as much as what money brings with it, which is a lot of enablers, a lot of people who agree with you violently 
definitely, you know, that you're always right. A lot of people that lick you up and down all day, um, right. that you never get feedback that is negative, that is deserved and negative. I don't mean negative to negative sake, because that's just a jerk, right? Right. But I think it's really important for you to get points of view and different things. That's not right. That's not correct. And I think the richer you get, you tend to reject disagreement quite a bit. You don't like it. It's a pain in the neck. And, you know, I, I'm working on my memoir of Silicon Valley right now, and I'm going to have to have an epilogue of people I used to be very close with who won't speak to me anymore, right? Because I I stayed the same and they changed. You know, one of them, they, they did something pretty stupid. And when I saw them, I'm like, well, that was stupid. And they were like, what do you mean? Like, how dare you say that? And I was like, I'm sorry. Last year's person would have been like, oh, yeah, that was dumb. And very few people stay. There there are people who stay that way. Uh, You know, I was just writing the section about Steve Jobs and they introduced a thing called Ping. You don't remember. It was a social network called Ping. And it was music oriented and it was sort of a, a mashup of Facebook and Twitter. It was terrible. It was terrible. And he came out, he presented it and he came out and uh, he had had, had uh, Coldplay introduce it, right? And I don't like Coldplay, so that was even worse. And I came out and he said, what do you think? He comes out of the demo areas. He came over to me and he knew I covered social networking. And he said, what do you think, Karen? I'm like, that's just sucked. This is a shitty social network. And by the way, it made worse by Coldplay. Now he was a friend of Chris Martin, so he defended Coldplay, but then he was the only person who's like, you know, it kind of does suck. And I'm like, it kind of does. Like, I don't know, you're not very good at social media. I don't know why you're doing it. You're doing it as a reaction. And he immediately was like, you know what? We're doing it as a reaction rather than it's not, it doesn't play to our strength. We had a great discussion. Very few of those discussions are to be had in Silicon Valley once people get to a certain level of of power. Well, let me stop you for a second. Was he already sick with pancreatic cancer when that he happened? Was sick, I don't though, remember. Almost all the time I spent time with him. He was, he got sick and got better. I think that was, Ping was, uh, he wasn't. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. You think his impending mortality, though, affected He didn't think him? he was going to die. Uh, let me just say, because he recovered several times. Like, he okay. recovered rather significantly in 2009, I think it was. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I think he, I mean, he definitely was sick again. I think he was like that the whole time. If you look back at some of his things, he was constantly, he had an image of being like, like, the king, but he wasn't. He, he had a lot of people who disagreed with him around him. And he talked about it a lot. When I went back to listen to some of our interviews, he said, I, you know, I lose arguments all the time. I, if you don't have people around you and if ideas, if hierarchy wins over ideas, you've already lost. And I thought he was rare, let me just say, because everyone else, like, you know, I, Mark Zuckerberg was still speaking to me. I'm like, metaverse? No, 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 no. And here's why. I don't think he would listen. I don't think he had people around him that were giving him good advice. All right. So, so I think well, we you know about agree. that, you know, you learned I, I the do listen, White I worked in politics, but I know, I know, I know about that in the hedge fund industry. Yeah. You know, I've got same thing. I, I, I go up and down with my friends in the hedge fund industry because some of them don't want to hear bad news. Some of them don't, right. you know, like bad news, you know, right. Bill, Bill Ackman said a few weeks ago, and I consider him a friend. I know Bill a long time. He said that the difference between successful people mm-hmm. And quote unquote unsuccessful people is their ability to get through things, meaning yeah. every person has a rough patch, whether it's sure. Steve Jobs, Just we know about Especially Bill Ackman, yeah, definitely. Bill Ackman would be a good yeah. example of that. And everybody has a rough patch. I was just with Michael Dell recently, mm-hmm. and people don't remember this, but in 1993, oh, yeah. his laptops caught on fire. Yeah. There he had several rough on, patches. He had several. Yeah, but I mean, and he, he hung in there. And so, do you think when you're writing this memoir about Silicon Valley, is that one of the things in it for yourself, for me, them, for anybody? 
I mean, I've gone through my rough patches. I keep grinding. Isn't that yeah, what you have to do? I think some of them, yes. The persistence, persistence in the face of, of negativity is definitely it really, you know, the ability to pivot. That's the word they tend to use. You know, being okay with failure. I think that's a hallmark of my career too. I've actually failed that much when I went and looked at it. But the ability to take risks, I think, is really the most important thing and be okay with it and then move on. Because there's so many people like Stuart, the guy who founded uh, Butterfield, who founded Slack. That started off as, a, I remember going to visit him. It was a game company that failed. It was up in, in uh, Vancouver. He loved that game company and didn't work. And then the system they used to communicate with each other became Slack, right? So that was a failure that turned into a success. And so right. the ability to look at things, and he had several of those. He had another game company and then he sold it. Uh, it's called Picasa. It was a photo thing that he sold to Google. I think. So, you know, he had a lot of game failures that became successful businesses. And, you know, and also the ability to give up is something that isn't irreconcilable. You know, I think that's the one thing that they do do. That said, on the flip side of that, some of them stick with things way longer than they should. And not giving up is a problem, too. What is the one big tech thing that we should be paying attention to that we're not? Obviously, the thing in the news now is right, chat, AI. GPT, yeah, AI. Right. Yeah. But what is it something, are we missing something? AI is like saying computer, you know that. Like, right. it's just like, it's so funny. Right. It's it's applications right. of AI, you know, just generative AI. I don't quite, I, I, they like to put a slap of word on everything. It's just essentially machine right. learning. Well, it, but but it, crea- it creates the hype, it creates the mania. And well, it's like saying internet. Trying. What do you mean by that? Internet. It's like electricity. What do you mean by that? Light bulbs, cars, what what the heck? I do think AI is sort of, you're seeing a lot of investment. There's a hype cycle around it now because of this chat GPT, which all the other companies have an ability to do, by the way. Um, It just hasn't been productized. Yeah, that was the first productization, I guess, of it. And so I, I find it underwhelming at this moment. And I think probably the creators of ChatGPT do too. But where it's going to go is unknown. It's like early internet was a picture of, of was a video of, of a coffee machine brewing. We didn't know where it was going to become Google and this and that. And so I think we have to suspend knowing what it's going to be. But obviously... Right now, what ChatGPT is, if I thought about it, is, you know, the way you have spreadsheets for numbers, like you don't think about using a calculator anymore or an abacus or whatever. You just put it in the spreadsheet and it just spits out the numbers. And so this is the same thing for text. And so for very easy stuff, it's really great. And for other things, we'll see. And what businesses, I don't know, like the valuations are pretty high. We'll see what it what it becomes. It feels like it could be commoditized. There's something out there that we're missing. Um, I just think we don't know what it's going to be yet. And I think people like spend a lot of time talking about doing term papers for colleges. That's not really a business, is it? Um, So it's just, it's kind of what the media tends to focus on, which is silly. I do think climate change tech is something I've talked about a lot. I think there's a lot of opportunity. It's a slow moving opportunity, but certainly around water and air and electricity and batteries, I think that would be where I would, if I was a young person, that's where I would focus. Although it's it's a long haul, it's very difficult. It has physical limitations. I think EV, or something where, you know, there's a lot of money to be spent making this industry, but it's sort of like, I would imagine it's like being at the car industry at the beginning. There were dozens and dozens of car companies and then there were three. So I think that's really interesting. I spent a lot of time thinking about EVs now. And then things like, I know it's on hydrogen powered fuel planes. It's really cool. There's all this cool stuff happening, but there's going to be a lot of losers in, in that growth. But to me, the climate change check area, if I was young and wanting to make a lot of money would be where I would look. All right. So I've always I've been dying to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Okay. So oh, all right. what is your best and worst interview? Because I've watched a lot of your interviews. <laughs> and 
I don't you're a great that, interviewer, yeah. but I'm wondering, like, when you come out of an interview, oh, man, yeah. that was my worst. Well, oh. this was a really good. What is your best and worst interview? You know, you have to look at the Gates Jobs interview. I think I didn't relish the Mark sweating interview. I didn't. I don't like when someone's in distress. And I didn't think that was good. You know, for, for pure impact, the parlor CEO, where I interviewed him the night of January 6th when it was happening, and he pretend, yeah. he acted like it didn't matter that he possibly was a handmaiden to sedition. And that got him fired, which was interesting. That was impactful, like, just for that particular right. company. I mean, he also got deplugged from the app store. from everything, the, everything. Right. Yep. It just was because of that interview, because he said what he thought, you know, which... Right. You know, free speech. And so that was a really impactful. But I think the Gates Jobs interview was probably the one that will go down in history, which bringing them two together uh, and having a real civil discussion on, on a big level about what their impact. It was like interviewing Edison and Ford together or something. And so I thought that was important. You know, some of them I've liked a lot more. I love the Monica Lewinsky one. I think she's a really interesting character in a, a, a in a drama where she's the only player that acted with decency, actually, except for the initial thing when she was a kid, right? She was a kid. She's right. a kid. I thought she's sort of created the been the the best person to emerge from that debacle. That's, that's twenty five years ago. If yeah. you could imagine, yeah, that, but right? she's she had to live it every day. Her her life changed. She's because she's a very grace gracious person. Given she'd been like pummeled by the FBI and the Clintons and the right wing and everybody took advantage of her in a lot in a different way. You know, I like I don't I like them all. I can't think of a bad one, Anthony. I thought ours was pretty good. I, you know, some of my early ones, I was too, I wasn't listening enough and I wasn't, I was too quick to try to get a jab versus listening. I think if I look at those, I'm a little bit like, oh, I should have just shut the fuck up. Um, right. So maybe, but it's like, you know, it's learning. It's learning. Yeah, no, I, learning. I, I think that the best interviewers are the people that don't talk actually, right? Yeah. Sometimes. Person, sometimes. Right? When you, I mean, you've interviewed everybody obviously, mm -hmm. and you get, you've interviewed some of the most successful people in mm -hmm. our current zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. What are the common characteristics and themes that you notice in successful people? And mm -hmm. what are some of the flaws that you notice in successful? I don't think there are any. I, you know, people ask that. I think persistence is the only one is that they are persistent in whatever they're doing, whether they're artists or, you know, entrepreneurs or Hollywood people. Um, I think the ability to change but not abandon core principles, if that makes sense. The idea of like, just, I think the ones that fail are the ones that are like, I'm going to disrupt everything. I'm like, why? What, what, for what reason? Just to break? Why don't you fix? Like, I think there's the really successful people sort of are very careful. I would, you know, put among them Reed Hastings of Netflix. He had a great idea. He kept pivoting when he had mistakes, like he moved from DVDs and then they're continuing to do it, moving to advertising. I think that's all him in a lot of ways. And he's created a culture where that's allowed. And I think they're okay with declines. They're not, they don't lose their minds. They also don't feel like they have to blow up everything every five minutes to be noticed. And I think that's helpful. You know, the people like creativity, I think you can't beat creativity, you know, and that's really hard to be creative. Everyone who's able to meld art uh, and science seems to be, that's a jobs kind of characteristic. People who are, you know, when I consider plagiarists are usually uh, burn out pretty quickly copiers. Um, and then also some businesses that I don't think much of could do very well, like Facebook. I think it steals people's data. And I think it's, it's addictive. I think they're not safe enough, but it works. Like, what are you going to, it works. It, they did a great job as a business. I don't admire it as a business. 
for example. Um, how about uh, your book? Mm-hmm. The book on AOL, yeah. which I thought was fascinating. Let's go yeah. to AOL because sure. AOL was everything. Yeah, it was. Okay, you yeah. and I are old enough to remember when AOL mm-hmm. was, to me, the internet, and AOL mm-hmm. was my portal. And uh, people said that someday AOL would go by the wayside. And did. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> snickered and said, oh, yeah. no, that can't happen. It's yeah. uh, it's everything. But yeah. it turned out it was a walled garden. Yeah. Uh, what's your reaction to that book that you wrote? Oh, I love it. I went back and read it recently. It's actually pretty good. Some of the predictions are pretty good. I think they're just, they were a moment in time, but everything in it is what's now, right? Like whether it was communications or music, they had a whole music offering. Um, they had a whole thing around community, which was important. Obviously, advertising. The chat uh, every, rooms. The chat, the chat rooms. Room. Every element they had there became its own industry. And I think they were very prescient in terms of a lot of stuff they did. Now, they got sort of messed up with that Time Warner acquisition, which directionally, if you think about it, I, again, I've been going back and looking at it. Directionally, it was correct. It was directionally the right way to go. Timing-wise, it was not great. And you know about that in finance. Some people can be directionally correct and just bad timing. Right. And they also had a very reticent company they took over that was like determined to screw them because they lots of reasons, their own their own faults too. Their own hubris and arrogance was a problem. But I think they were they really, if you look at a lot of stuff they do, you're like, oh yeah, that happened. Like, well, you know that. And there's nothing new under the sun. That's a famous, I think it's Euripides do quote. You, do you still have an AOL email? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah. I do. I yeah. think it's Swish K. I don't know. I don't. I haven't looked at it in years. I have a couple. I have all a couple right. AOL. But I. It was the first time. See, when I saw that for the first time, and I'd used all the other things that were around. There was an Apple one that everyone thought was going to be hot. There was like six or seven of them at the time. And I remember there's CompuServe and the other one, Prodigy. Yeah. I was like, this one's great because it loves consumers. That's the one thing you could tell they were consumer friendly and they were community friendly. And the others, you know, I said CompuServe was it was owned by Sears and IBM. If you're remember? Yeah. It was Prodigy was. Prodigy was. Prodigy was. And I said, it's everything Sears knows about computers and everything IBM knows about retail. (laughs) And by both of them sucked in their own industries eventually. But it was really very clear that this upstart who was very focused in on consumer and community was going to win. And it was just a better experience. It was was, um, easy to use. It was all kinds of things. And so it was very easy to see why. I I tried to get the Washington Post to invest in them. They invested in this AT&T disaster interchange. And I kept saying, no, this little company is going to be the thing. They're the, they're right. And so uh, they did. Remember, uh, remember Jim Kimsey? Yes, of course. That crazy guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he was one of the, he was, he He was, he he helped not die. Right. No, you know, you know, the, uh, one of the funner things for me was, and I've talked to Steve Case Mm -hmm. about this is I used to go into those chat rooms. This Mm -hmm. is like 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, Steve was in the chat room with you. He was. Yeah. Yeah, Jim wasn't. I can't imagine Jim. No, no, no. Jim was never. But I, I remember Steve being in the chat room uh, on more than one occasion, which made it fun. Yeah. What yeah, company? he was great. He was great. He was great. It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. No, no question. He's still still doing a lot of innovative he is. things. He's what, a great guy. What company is today's world would you want to have that level of access to that you had to AOL? 
if you were going to write another book. Well, I, it was hard. He used to always try to give me give me the, the long arm, get away, Kara, kind of thing, until I knew too much. And then he's like, oh, all right. He was a very canny guy. Um, he is a very canny guy. You know, I have access to a lot of companies. I think I spent a lot of time talking to media people. I have a very good relationship with Bob Iger, for example. Interviewed him many times. I know all the Netflix people. I really like talking to them. I have pretty good access to Microsoft. I just recently interviewed Satya Nadella. Tim Cook's always been very open to talk. You know, it's only the companies run by petty tyrants that are sort of let me have, have kept me away, as they say. Um, I think Mark in general is not a jerk, but he's certainly, I ha- working with me has not worked out well for him, I guess. Um, and so he's, I wish I had, uh, I'd like to be inside his thinking on the metaverse because I, there's a lot of things to like about Mark Zuckerberg, a lot of things not to like about him. And so I'd like Mark's there. And with Twitter, it's a shame what's happening. I don't, you know, you and I had that debate, obviously. Someone I was close to, actually, and not at all now. Let, let's talk about that, because mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, I have to see, you know, and I, I've listened to our debate uh, since <laughs> we had it. Okay. And I have to cede some positions to you about what has happened because the data does not, it's not in Elon Musk's favor in terms of and what's going on. And the technology is really glitchy now. It's and, really- and the technology and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I asked you a question at the end of that debate that I want to ask you again right now. I don't know if you remember that question, but it was, you, you believe he's hurting Twitter and there's a lot of data that says that he is. But I asked you, but you don't want him to hurt Twitter though. No. Do you? you want Twitter to survive yes. and thrive, right? Yeah, I was thinking that the other day. I was like, I'm trying out all the others and they're all quite, some of them are quite better than others. But it's a really unique place, right? Like whether it's the Super Bowl or the Grammys or whatever, a lot of people are there. He's just, one, he's sucking the fun out of it, which was fun. Now it's mean. One of the things is you tolerated the mean because some of it was really fun and creative and interesting. So he's sucking the nice, the fun out of it for sure by being just a petty tyrant, essentially. Um, You know, he's constantly punching down. He's constantly insulting people. It's never uplifting, right? One of the things he said very early, he said, if you spend an hour here and you feel bad, this is a bad product. And I'm like, well, welcome to your world, like that kind of thing. And I think just having, you know, right-wing people screaming at liberals is really not but the way I want to spend my time. I've cut off comments. Uh, that's right. a shame. I used to love talking to people. Lots of people I disagreed with. Now it's just vile. You know, you right. bitch Kara is not really my day. I don't want to spend one minute of my day. Yeah, with I mean, you know, I, I actually shut off the notifications at this point. You put out a tweet. You could put out a tweet about mm-hmm. your poodle. Right. And then you've got 20 people telling you you're right. the worst person that's, that's ever right. lived. That's right. And it's like, what's the point? It's not fun. It's not fun. You can wander right. over to, to TikTok, which has its own set of problems, which I've written about for years with China. And and that's fun. Like, what? What life is too short to be screamed at by a billionaire, honestly, and told you're an asshole. I just, it's like, no, thank you. It's not, a, you know, and then like, you should pay me. Well, what are you giving me that's attractive? I'd love it to succeed. I think it's a wonderful product. I think it's always been troubled, by the way. It's always been a problematic business. But now it's just, it's just unpleasant, like, unfortunately, because I love it. I I have loved it. And there's so much to find. But now you can't find people. It's, you know, and then it doesn't work as well. It's like one of those restaurants you used to love and then you wish it would get better again. But this is true about everything. At least this has been my life experience because you're mentioning it. Okay, hot restaurant then the restaurant fades. AOL is the center of the Internet universe. And yeah, then it goes sure. away. Inevitable. Facebook has this incredible rise. 
And now it's sure. still a good business, but it's not the business that it was 15 sure. years ago. Sure, sure. But you don't have to be a nasty prick while you're doing it, right? You know what I mean? Like like the, this new blue check thing. Like we're taking off the blue cups because they're corrupt. I'm like, I, I don't even know how I got my blue check. Like, what are you right. talking about? Why does it have to be that? Like, maybe they had a bad system in place. Who knows? And just be right. honest. You know, we need to charge for these things because of this. Like, instead, it has to be like whacking people in order to feel better. And that's pathetic. That's just pathetic. Life is fatal, Anthony. Like, that's really pretty much what you're saying. And it is for yeah. every company that I've ever covered. You know, you think about them, even good ideas, by the way. Like, right now, Be Real is seeing declines. Really good product. Tonal is having some problems. Great product. Like, there's nothing wrong with the product. Peloton, nothing wrong with the product. There's just secular and other issues happening, you know. Right. What I think the problem is, is that you have something that actually could be wonderful and really uniting, and it has to instead be divisive and, you know, lying, just lying about what's happening. And I think that's a sad thing because it would be a good place to really bring people together and make people laugh and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's interesting because there's not one company in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which was created in the 1890s, that has stayed in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Right, and sure. so you've had a full revolution. You know, General Electric was that one company. Mm -hmm. People would point to say, well, GE's in there, but it got kicked out several years ago due to the areas of mismanagement that they faced. Okay, so we're we're down to our last few moments here. I want to do with you what I do with all my guests, sure. which is I'm going to read you five words. Okay. Okay. And uh, I want you to fire back to me your thoughts. Okay. And they're not really five words. They're names of people. Okay. And we've talked about some of them. So let's start with Steve Case. Class act. Class act. Changes. Thoughtful. Doing a lot with his life. And he doesn't have to. He could sit on his islands in Hawaii where he came from and do nothing. And I think he tries to contribute. Contributor. Yeah. And I feel, feel the same way about him. He wrote a great book. We're going to have did. him on. That was a great book. All his books are very prescient. Very, very thoughtful books. We're going to have him on open book. Uh, Cheryl Sandberg. Oh, I'd like to see what she's going to do next. That's, you know, I like her personally, and I think she was complicit in a lot of stuff that she should have spoken up about. Um, I don't blame her fully because he's in charge of that whole company, but she certainly went along with some stuff that, especially around privacy and data, that I really wish she had been, perhaps have had more of a backbone. Um, but I, I mean, we'll see what she does next. She, everybody gets a chance again, and she's got enormous amounts of money and influence, so maybe she'll do something interesting. Mark Zuckerberg. Nice guy, most dangerous man in tech over the past couple of, past decade. Really has has ushered in an era of, of, of privacy violations that I think that we're still recovering from really most impactful, just because he's biggest, not, you know, lots of other sites have tried to do that, but um, thoughtless about his role in society in a way he should have been. Still nice guy, very nice guy. Steve Jobs. Just a legend. I just, as I'm writing this, I realized, you know, very, you know, she, he's not a man without faults, both personal and in work, but in term, I wish she had not died. I think we'd all be a lot better. When I went back and looked at some of these quotes way before, I talked about podcasting before it happened. He talked about shifting to the post PC world before it happened. He talked about privacy in very clear terms. I would wish he was still a living. He was really important character. What do you think he would have thought about all of our screen time usage? Hated it. 
hated it. He, he would have not liked it, right? I mean, based on the interviews that I've seen and the books that have been written about yeah. him, he would not have liked all of this. He wouldn't have liked any of it. He wouldn't. Everyone's no. always comparing Elon to him. Like, not even close. Like, if you look at the worst thing he did, you know, look, he had some family issues. Like, hello, nice to meet everybody. And I, I think a little bit of that is much more complex, by the way. I do right. know that. It's more complex. That said, you know, like, what did he park his car funny? He parked in a handicapped thing. That's jerky. Like, but honestly, some of the behaviors today, you're like, oh, I'd like that guy back. I think ultimately he had a care for product and a care for quality and a care for the consumer that is sorely missing. Any creativity though, right? I mean, creativity, he was able to- always. He was, and, and, and willing to mix it up. I just, I do, I think he, we had so many back and forth, but I never felt like he was an adult. I don't know what else to say. I like adults. You know, I like Tim Cook. I yeah. like Reed Hastings. I like, I like adults. I only, I only had the chance to meet him once. I was at the Sun Valley Conference in 05. Oh, cool. oh, he went. He was very, That's he was very thin at the time. He oh, was, yeah. he was, he was sick. That's the sick, he had a first sickness. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had, but he had, he had given that speech at Stanford about a he, month or two. Oh, that was 2009. That. that was 2009. Okay, then it was 2009. Then right. I, I got my, my my timing off, but I remember having the conversation with him about the speech and how, uh, you know, I mean, I thought that speech was great. I recommend that speech to I everybody. Read it, I read it once a month. I read it once a month. Yeah, and every, every randomly every once in a while I post it up on Twitter, mm-hmm. just YouTube. Please take a look at this because mm-hmm. it's about life. And I often say on this podcast, Steve Jobs understood this. You get it. Mm-hmm. Mel Brooks once said that uh, relax. None of us are getting out of here alive, Kara. That's Relax. Correct. That's correct. And, and that was Steve's m- mantra in that speech that you've got to live without fear. And, and Except it wasn't depressing. It wasn't like, oh, well, and it, it was then get the fuck up. Like, yeah, that's what it was about. Right, like, exactly. It was, it was like, like, okay, do something. You know, do you something. Can, whatever yeah, you do. I think that does happen to people. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. And so it doesn't matter. Life is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. That's the depressing side of it. The other side of it is, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Let's live. Let's let's hit that Hawaiian beach. Let's yep. actualize our dream. Let's mm-hmm. do something that we would like to do while we're here. Yep. And that's something I got from Steve Jobs. Yeah, for sure. Okay, two more people. Jeff Bezos. You know, still waiting. Uh, you know, obviously brilliant visionary in terms of, of of everything. I'm still waiting for his great moment. I know it sounds crazy. I think he's got could have a lot of influence. Um, he's late. His tweets are. Uh, I'm a little bit like you know. You don't need to be a reactionary every minute of the day or mad at the Biden. Like I think he has an ability to be a real. Like you saw how Gates transformed himself in terms of Gates and and uh, Melinda Gates transformed themselves into philanthropists. I think he could. I think his wife is showing him up right. His ex wife is showing him up right now, showing him how mm-hmm. to do it. Um, he's got great wealth. He's super intelligent. He's a smart guy doing some stupid things. I don't know what to say. Like he he could be bigger and bigger. So you're saying that he needs a transformative moment to move into the sort of the Carnegie Rockefeller I think he could, I'm glad he looks great. It seems like he works out a lot and I'd like him to like really, like with the post or some of it, just really engage in ways that aren't Mm -hmm. just for himself. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Elon Musk. Oh, I feel so bad. I really, what a brilliant guy. Um, full of great ideas. You know what I look at? I look at Tesla and I look at um, uh, SpaceX and I think that's what I try to focus on. Personally, I think he's a train wreck as a person and has, it's a shame. I don't know what's happening and he's intolerant. He's become intolerant. He's become intolerant in a well, way. That, this is something you feel fairly recently, right? Because I was- He's at- always had that element. 
He's, when I was at Recode, I don't know, two years great. ago. Yeah, two years ago. Yeah. yeah, two years ago, I think it was, you 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 interviewed him. It was in Los Angeles. I, I came and saw the interview. Yeah, I mean, it was a, uh, you think something has happened in the last year or two? I, I, I think he has enablers and I think he's... He's indulged. He that was about ten percent of him. What he's like now it was always there. You'd see it, you know, flash out every now and then again. Little conspiracy theory, a little like telling lies that aren't true and just putting them out there. That happened. It wasn't, you know, a little bit off the deep end kind of thing. He talked about it himself a couple of years ago, especially when he's exhausted and everything. Um, but I think we indulge these these men, these delicate flower men too much. Like, and I think, you know, when you hear from the Ukrainians, you know, that he's just deciding what to do with equipment he sells with them. Why is he involved in, I'm sorry, I would like the experts to be involved in public foreign relations and warfare. I don't love warfare either, but to, I, I don't know, just some of the things I'm like, what, really? Like, I think he thinks he's Iron Man. I, I don't know what's happening. I think he thinks he's Iron Man, but Iron Man was a movie. He has such contributions to make and has made. I'd like him to shut up and make cars and rockets and shut up for a little bit. Just shut the fuck up. I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? I, I, he shouldn't become Trump. He should become great. He's right. so, so uh, he's not I, stupid like Trump. I'm a fan of his and an admirer of his work, and but I, I get the oscillating behavior, which is sometimes confusing. Well, okay, my last question You're for you. You're very kind. What is the next chapter for you, Kara Swisher? It's oh, a good question. AKA I'm pretty old. Ryan Seacrest of I'm tap. pretty old, Anthony. Um, I want to be an, uh, an activist shareholder. I was just thinking I'd be a good activist shareholder. Oh, my uh, God. You know, why does Dan Loeb get all the ink on that? I could be a very good activist shareholder. Um, I, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, how hard is it? I kind of know all the things they know, and I can make a deck and be manipulative of things. Um no, I was teasing. I'm not. I don't care about money. That's my biggest problem. I think I'll probably I'll write these next books. I've got two books I'm working on, and I'll keep doing the podcast because I really enjoy it. But the very Are you minute, able to tell us the names of the books or not? No, yet? not yet. Okay, no. All right, yes. okay um, but um, but one's coming out pretty soon, and it doesn't have a name yet. That's why. Um, and the other one I'm going to start working on in the fall. But it's about it's about death. It's about death and life extension and stuff like that. And I think I would like to work on those. And then I would really like to. Not retire, stop doing pod. At some point, I like doing podcasts. When the minute I stop liking it, I love pivot and stuff. I'll stop doing it. And I know it sounds dumb, but I'd love to write like a historical book, like just get deep into research on some historical figure who's dead so I don't have to talk to them and write a really, pick a really interesting, like Frederick Douglass. I, there's been a lot written about him, but someone mm -hmm. like that, like I'd like to write a really significant biography of, of a historical figure, uh, probably someone who hasn't been noticed, who deserves notice. That's what I would like to do. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'll tell Teramuchi, you something. the real well, story. Not, not, you have to be not, dead, not, Anthony. Not me, because, uh, you know, I'm, I've only lived half my life, girl, even though I'm 60. <laughs> I'm, I've only lived half my life. I'm looking I'm looking forward to the back half. you got to think young, I got girl. kids. You think, Honey, I, you and I both have little kids. What no, are you talking I about? Five, I have to raise five, my kids, and then I die. That's it. I go to college graduation, and then I die. That's what I'm going to I'm going to give you one to look at, because you are historical. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a, a buff towards history mm -hmm. is George Marshall. 
interesting. Uh, take, take a look at George okay. Marshall's life because he okay. is. There's only been two real biographies written about huh. him. Okay, and he's important. an un, he's an unsung neo-Victorian. John Foster Dulles is the other one. Yeah, there's yeah, a couple. He is he is literally one of the architects of the post World War II mm-hmm. American century. Yep. And of course, without his personality, the Marshall Plan could have never been put in Agreed. place. What an amazing he, thing! Though he didn't come up with it, they went to him and said, "Well, you're the five star general. You're the only one that yep. can sell this to the Republicans in the Congress." But he, people don't remember this. Uh, there was a great book written about this a few years ago. He went to China after the Second World War at the behest of uh, of Truman. Spent six months mm-hmm. in China, and mm-hmm. while he was there, he tried to resolve the conflict between Chiang Kai Shek and mm-hmm. Mao. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, he wasn't able to do that. It resulted in the war on the continent and and, and pushed Chiang Kai Shek into the island of Formosa, which became Taiwan. But his life is so quintessentially American, and he's an under, he's an understated man. And I'll give you an example. He wanted to run the Allied invasion in Europe, and he went to the White House, and FDR said to him, I sort of really need you here. I need you here in Washington. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to pick somebody other than yourself to run that invasion. And he knew that the person that he picked would go on to become president. He knew that. Right. He, he, it wasn't his ambition ever mm-hmm. to be president. That wasn't his personality. And so he picked Eisenhower and he had other Good generals choice. to pick. And it was a great choice because of Eisenhower's, another great man. Eisenhower's humility. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what Marshall saw in Eisenhower, despite his greatness and his leadership skills, uh, he was humble uh, mm-hmm. in comparison to somebody like a MacArthur or a Patton. But, but anyway, I all right, okay, I'll take the suggestion. What a great take a suggestion! Look at George Marshall's life because uh, it fits your narrative. All right, okay. People that do great things in this uh, humble, silent sort of a way. I love it. Okay, I'm on it. I will take a look. I will take a look. I'm going to write the Anthony Scaramucci. Well, let me let me tell you, there's a lot, but there's a lot of stuff I don't want you to write. Well, then I'll wait till you're dead. There, there is some sordid shit wait, that just happened. The day after you die, I'll call your For wife. Well, sure. Up. Let me tell you something. It's been a great life, though. I've enjoyed every moment <laughs> of it. You seem to be enjoying yourself. That's one good quality. There's been some sordid shit that's going on. Trust me. I'm certain of it. I'm certain All right, of well, it. Well, God, God bless you. All and right, I hope thank season, you. Please come back on after Anytime. you write this book, though, okay? I will, 100%. All right. God bless you, Kara. Thank, thank you. What I find amazing about Kara Swisher, among her fascinating traits, her intellectual curiosity, her striving for the truth, her objectivity, frankly, if you listen to her, she's really trying to be objective and fair. The most amazing feature about her that I love the most is she actually does not give a shit. She doesn't care what other people think of her. And you will learn very quickly in life that one of the key ingredients to being super happy is not caring. My grandmother once said to me, what other people think of you is none of your business. If you're 14, 41, or 114, that is a clear resonating message and one of life's golden rules. Stop caring what other people think of you. And I do believe that that's part of Kara Swisher's secret sauce. I love what's going on. All right, Ma, you're the star of the show. You know that, right? You're the star of the podcast. Did you know that? What happened? No, everybody talks about you. They don't care about me. All they want to do is listen to you and what you have to say about different things. Like what? 
I don't know, like anything, like anything you talk about, you know, with all the stuff you talk about, your opinions, you know, smoking cigarettes, you know, trying to run from Nana while she's trying to pull your hair when you were a kid, you know, the whole thing. Aww. All right. So let me ask you a question though, right? And be honest with what? me because you know that your grandchildren say that you're genius level. You have genius level math skills. Is that true? Yes. You have genius. Yes. Yeah. So what do, what do they mean by that when your grandchildren say you have genius level math skills? Well, this is what they mean. My father was a genius with math and somehow I inherited it because when Susan had the store and she had customers all day, I knew exactly what she made without her adding everything up and she would add it up anyway to check me and it was always right. Okay. So you can add up the stuff in your head, right? No problem, right? No problem. Yeah. All right. So mm-hmm. what, would you say you're tech savvy, Ma? Are you a technologist? Uh, I'm not good at like writing letters and stuff. That's no, but I mean like the internet, Ma, like the internet. Do you like the internet? I don't inter- do the internet. Don't do the internet. And what about your phone, Ma? Your phone's from like 1996, right? It's a flip phone? Yeah, I got a flip phone. Yeah, you don't like you don't like the iPhone smartphone, right? Well, I never had it and I don't know how to work it. So I'm content with what I have. But when I bought you the iPad, where is the iPad, Ma? It's in the closet somewhere? I have it, but you never gave me the thing to, to I make it. Get out of here. I did, Ma, four times. I gave it to you and you threw well, it. Where in- is it? What do you want me to do? It's in the desk. You put it in the desk. No, but I mean, I don't have to plug to plug it in to make it work. Oh, now you're going to say that, Mike? There's five or six plugs everywhere. Let me ask you something, though. Of all the technology that you've seen in your lifetime, you're 86 years old. What's the one piece of technology that's changed your life the most? Well, I have to think about it. Wait a minute. Well, I know the answer, but I just want to know if you know the answer. Go ahead. Well, what's the answer? No, go ahead. You answer first, then I'll tell you what I think. Well, I like Alexis because... Because I like to listen to Andrea Bocelli, and that has changed because I'm too lazy to put my stereo on. Right, so you listen to Andrea Bocelli all day, right? Yeah. All right, but let me let me ask you though. Don't you think it's the telephone that's been the biggest invention that's changed your life? Well, I always had a phone, even when I was a kid. No, I know, but you talk on the phone all day. You like Siri before Siri was invented. You know everybody's business. <laughs> you talk on the phone all day, right? Well, I have a lot of friends, fortunately, because my class was a very close class. It was not clicky like some of the classes. We all got along, and they visit me, and they call me. It's like my out, I guess. I do like the phone. All right. Well, you, you don't agree with everything with all your friends, but you still have them as friends, right? Right. Absolutely. All right. So what's your feeling about that? Like, I have a friend named Kara Swisher. I don't agree with her a lot, but I like her. So what's your philosophy on that? Well, I, th- I don't. I think everyone's an individual and they can't always agree with me and I can't always agree with them. They're, they're good in other things and they're nice to me that I think they're nice and they're good enough. So it's fine, right? I mean, you don't care, right? People don't have to agree. You don't You don't make an enemy from somebody because they have a philosophical disagreement with you on something, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. All right. All right. All right. I love you, Mom. Thank you, baby. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. I am Anthony Scaramucci, and that was Open Book. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, and make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. While you're there, please leave us a rating or review. If you want to connect with me to chat more about the discussions, it's at Scaramucci on Twitter. It's also at Scaramucci on Instagram. You can text me at plus one nine one seven nine zero nine two nine nine six. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think and who you'd like to see on our show next. I'll see you back here next week.